You are listening to Chit Chat with a Therapist, episode 11. This is Chit Chat with a Therapist, the podcast where clinicians are supported and encouraged to create a private practice that they can be proud of. And now, here is your host, therapist, coach, and future BFF, Melissa Da Silva. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Chit Chat with a Therapist. I am your host, Miss Melissa Da Silva. I don't know if you know this yet, but I wrote a book, and you can get your copy of The Profitable Private Practice on Amazon. And you can learn all the things that you need to learn to have a practice that you can be proud of. So today's episode, we're going to be talking to Vanessa Letch. Now, Vanessa and I had a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed this interview so much. We talk about mental health sweatshops. Now, if you've ever worked in one of those agencies outside of college, you know exactly what we're talking about. So we touch on that. And we also talk about some of the things that Vanessa has been up to as well. Um, She is also an author and she has her own practice and she is just an amazing, amazing individual and therapist. So I hope you enjoy getting to know Vanessa. Vanessa, you have so much stuff going on. I am so excited to be interviewing you today because you've got a lot of stuff. And so like, I want to talk about all your stuff. So, but first let's get into your background. What, what is it that you do? Who are you? Where are you from? Okay. So I live in North Carolina, but I'm not from North Carolina. Um, I was in the army and my husband's still serving on active duty in the army. And so that's what brought us to North Carolina. Cause there's a massive military base. I think it's the largest in the world called Fort Bragg anyways. And, um, that's how I ended up here. But before that I had never lived in North Carolina. I have no family here, nothing. And um, I ended up going to graduate school here for my behavioral health-related degree and started basically my behavioral health-related career. For the most part, it's been in North Carolina. And so I've been working out here steadily pretty much since then. And um, I own a private practice now called Carolina Addiction Anger Management because, um, especially as an addiction anger management, because I was doing a lot of that work for my former employers. I found I really enjoyed it. And so... Here I am. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the short rundown version of how I ended up here in North Carolina. Now, did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist? Like, is that something that you knew growing up that you wanted to be? Well, I didn't know what a therapist, counselor, behavioral health clinician even was growing up. So no, because I didn't know what that, I had no concept of what that was. Um, What I was exposed to was nursing um, I had a relative, relatives that were different types of nurses. And so I actually grew up thinking because I spent time like a nursing home as a kid, you know, because my grandmother worked there, um, thinking, oh, I'll be like a nurse when I grow up. And I actually thought I'd be a psychiatric nurse. Um, and I thought about working in prisons as a nurse. So I kind of had a behavioral health care in my mind, but I didn't know what the paths were. And in my opinion, this field is so convoluted, especially with the different state requirements that even now it amazes me how many different paths there are to get to kind of the work we're doing. Like there's art therapy evidently or um, licenses, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I found one by accident locally here. So that was, you know, it's always something new, but um, it's a lot more straightforward. I feel like for doctors, pharmacists, lawyers, but behavioral health, there's just so many different paths and licenses that I don't even feel like it's very well covered even for people in the field. 
Mm. Now, do you, what made you change your mind from psychiatric nurse to like becoming a therapist? I went to nursing school. Ah, okay. <laughs> I went to nursing school and I just didn't like what I saw. Um, you know, I went to the LPN school. Mm-hmm. Um, school I went to really wasn't the best. And this was when I was, we're talking like 19 years old. I was very young. This was many moons ago. And, you know, there's a lot of things I saw I didn't like. One of the things I didn't like was... Um, the volume of medications that were being dispensed on the med surge floors um, on a routine basis. By the time people were 60 years old, it seemed based upon charts that they were on between 20 to 40 different meds. And they were having a lot of different interactions with the meds. Once you get past a few meds, it's almost like you're very high risk to have an interaction. And, you know, I saw doctors not spending really a lot of time with their patients. They're in others' rooms very quickly. Um, Nurses had a lot of health issues of being on their feet too much, low quality of life, um, had their own behavioral health care related issues in a lot of cases. I was very young seeing this, so I didn't really register all those things. But looking back, like I'm able to put those pieces together now. And I was really put off by that experience experience and just felt intuitively like that just wasn't the right decision for me. It wasn't the right path for me. And I'm really glad I actually didn't go down the path. Um, nothing against nursing or anything like that. But I just think that, you know, I know a lot of nurses. I've worked with a psychiatric nurse in my, um, a couple of, a while back. And, you know, it just, I, I just didn't think that was the path for me. And I still don't think that was. So I'm really glad I ended up kind of detouring off and finding this later in life. And it's interesting because you written a book on self-care for behavioral health clinicians. Do you think like some of your history with like seeing that stuff um, kind of played into the book? It may have, but I think, well, because I actually worked with now I think about another psychiatric nurse um, in behavioral health care work I was doing. And she actually died on the job and I actually covered that um, in the book. I don't mention it's non-descriptive or anything, you know, the information in the book, but, you know, she, I remember leading up to her death, um, was enduring a lot of workplace bullying and a, a former job inside the organization. And she was very stressed out. She was, um, very unhealthy, you know, unhealthy diet, unhealthy lifestyle, not enough exercise. She was in therapy. I remember trying to, um, you know, kind of deal with her own issues from the workplace bullying. And it was a pretty toxic situation inside the organization. It was a large organization, which I'm not going to say the name of, although most Mm -hmm. people would now. And, um, you know, I actually resigned my position from the organization, but I remember that um, a number of weeks after I left, I heard from another nurse I knew that the person had had a heart attack and died on the job. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I 100% believe it was stress related. Mm-hmm. And so experiences mm-hmm. such as that, which were pretty trying experiences, even though I wasn't there when it happened, you know, I was long gone, but I was really friendly with the person and I really liked them. And, you know, it just really drove home that you really can't take care of anyone else. If you're not taking care of yourself in the behavioral health care field. You know, I talk about mental health sweatshops in the book. There's a whole chapter on that. And basically it's these agencies that work people to death mm-hmm. and um, that really prey upon people that are trying fresh out school trying to get, you know, experience. And, um, you know, there's not a focus on true self-care, you know, of having time to really have time in between clients, especially if you've had a difficult session, have time to truly rest, um, mm-hmm. to do all the stuff we have to do in this field of our training and continuing education and on and on. 
And so those experiences are re- really motivated me over time to write the book because I feel it's a topic that's overlooked far too often and isn't enough time isn't spent on the nuts and bolts of how to take care of yourself and what's involved in that. I like that term, like the therapeutic sweatshop, because it, I mean, it really does. Because when I started my practice, I'm like, when we get out of college here where I live, it's like you have like three options and you are worked 40 hours and you're expected to see like 60 people a week. And it's like, how is that an experience after you get out of college? And that's the only option you have, because otherwise... You know, you can't get paid from insurance companies because you still have to do these two years of hours and stuff like that. It's like, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted to create my group practice to actually give them a good experience after after college and have that um, ability to do self-care because <laughs> 40 people a week is a lot of people to like be able to sit with. And I, I do think that that population has been abused right out of college for us. Mm-hmm. And I think it becomes acceptable almost, you know, and the people, they become conditioned to where that's acceptable. And I think that's why you see a lot of people washing out. You know, a lot of industries, our industry is one of them. Nursing is another one where people wash out within five years of graduating, never to return. Um, A lot of people, a lot of industries, but ours is definitely one of them. And I think that's one of the reasons is because, you know, they get that bad taste in their mouth. And for me, opening up my own company was a way to provide the best quality services for clients mm-hmm. while taking care of myself. And that really wasn't happening for, with other employers because, you know, the money matters to so the bottom line matters, but so do other things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That should not be the only variable at play. And it was, it was too often, mm-hmm. even at these so-called not-for-profits. So, Yeah. yeah. And that's with like all my courses and stuff. I said, you you know, build a lifestyle that works for you by starting your private practice and making it profitable because you can take a nap in the middle of the day and take care of yourself. (laughs) And then, you know, if you need to leave for two days and go to Las Vegas, you've created a practice that allows you to do that. And so I think that's so important for other behavioral health practitioners to know. So it's great. And what is the name of your book? Burnout, self-care for behavioral health clinicians. Yeah, and I looked, I looked because I was looking, I wrote the books, I was looking for books like this and I couldn't find any. I found like one burnout book for doctors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was focused just on doctors, um, but I really didn't see any that were for behavioral health clinicians at all. And so that's, I pretty much was kind of almost documenting my own self-care journey to some extent and practical life hacks. And, you know, some of the things I documented, which I talk about in the book is just one of the ways I kept my head above water working for other people was I started, thank God, technology. I started um, getting meal service delivered to my home, like the, like meal prep plans. I had like organic. We have that too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you for months and months and months, it helped me. I wouldn't know what I would have done without it because I didn't have time to go grocery shopping and meal planning. And I had really healthy meals that way. And it was delivered regularly and it was great customer service. And I was just thrilled with it. And then I also had, um, I hired people to come in. I was able to schedule it online to clean my home once a week because I had at the time three dogs and a significant other and my house was just getting trashed. And I was too exhausted to come home after the longest day on earth, you know, dealing with, I was at crisis place at the time, dealing with crisis, people being involuntarily committed, suicidal, homicidal, then to come home and clean for four or five hours. I mean, it just wasn't realistic. 
Yeah. So yeah. those are a couple of things I kind of cover is like the how, because it's always nice to say, oh, take care of yourself. But it's like, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, one of the things is getting a full length couch so that I can take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> You're big on naps. I, I am like almost every day. And my assistant would be like, do you need a nap? And I'm like, Yes, <laughs> and I'll go lay down for twenty minutes, <laughs> and My she knows to like have every. Yeah, I am like a nap professional. <laughs> I can fall asleep pretty much anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have the book, but you also created a game. So you sound like a woman who has great ideas and does a lot of follow through on these. So you've created a game. What is this game? Anger management. It's a therapy game for group therapy. And I created it when I was at one of the mental health sweatshops um, because there was a lack of support really for the work that we were doing. And I did a lot of groups at the time. Um, and many of the people were, I mean, it was a varied crowd, but I dealt with a lot of people that are court ordered for behavioral health care, basically. And um, they're angry people. And so we did anger management group therapy. And I noticed that there was a lack of therapeutic tools for adults in mm-hmm. like a game game setting. There was a lot for kids, but I really didn't work with kids. I still don't. And um, they're just, it didn't translate to like adults. I also worked with people and still do with varied socioeconomic status. So at the time, and even recently, um, I've worked with people that have little minimal literacy, let's just say, where they're borderline illiterate, I would say. And so I needed something that would help engage the whole group and reinforce skills that were being taught while at the same time making it to where anyone from any education level could use it. And so um, I started basically with the cheapest pieces of paper, you know, like note cards, business cards that are from the agency and writing out messages and um, typing them up and using Elmer's glue and, and gluing it together. It was really pathetic, actually. It was flimsy. And then over time, when I saw it was working, I had it professionalized and I actually had it printed. I, this is my open one, but basically this is it. So it's a, like an actual card game. And so the feedback was really positive and really interactive because you have to think people don't necessarily want to be there. Mm-hmm. And it made it to where it was a bonding experience for the group and people were really engaged and actually wanted to be there. And um, I haven't been able to find anything like it on the market. So that's why I developed it because the population I work with are pretty unique. And a lot of people don't want to work with the individuals I, was, I work with because, you know, addiction and or anger management for adults isn't the sexiest, especially when they're involved in the criminal justice system. A lot of behavioral health clinicians, in my experience, are afraid of people that have legal problems. And mm-hmm. I'm not. Great. I've been in court a lot through the years. Like recently, um, when I worked for an employer, I had to go every week to testify about my client's progress or lack thereof. So I got really comfortable with the whole nuts and bolts of dealing with the system. That might be a great next book for you. I was like, how else do you address core issues as a mental health professional? Because that is scary. And who has written a book about that? Like, what do you say? Like, you know, how do you do it? <laughs> I don't know. I, because you know, that almost makes me nervous because all the state laws are so different. That's true. And then you yeah. have all the different licensees and they have all different requirements. And so, yeah, <laughs> that would that'd be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as straightforward as self-care. That's true. Like. Yeah, that's true. Now, you have your own business now. How many clinicians do you have working with you? 
So I'm not in a group practice. I am a solo practitioner and I have people that answer my phones 24-7. Um, so I have an answering service that's been working out great. And then I, you know, I have my software so everything's automated and I have those people that help me. But I'm not sure if or when I want to add more clinicians in the future. It's a huge step, that's mm-hmm. for sure. And then there's a lot of employment employment law regulations. Like I know, for example, that a lot of people do um, independent contracting for clinicians, but then that's really tricky too because of all the requirements of how they're supposed to be treated compared, which is different than employee. So, and lately um, there's this law that was passed, I forget the name of it, but basically um, it was because of the construction industry, I guess there was a lot of problems with people being taken advantage of and being misclassified. I think actually the word misclassification is in the law. Anyways, misclassified as independent contractors to avoid employment taxes, but they're being treated as employees. And so all these legal things make me think long and hard about yes. that decision in the future because there's a lot to it. That absolutely <laughs> and it makes me is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do we have 12 independent contractors right now. Okay. Um, and yeah, definitely it is a lot of stuff to look into. Uh, before jumping into that because, yeah, running it, di- you do definitely have to run it differently because they can choose their own hours. So, like, yeah, how, how do you manage that? Like, how, how do you handle people that are independent contractors? And because one of the kind of seems like downfalls of independent contractors would be that what if you have people that just that you need to have more oversight with, but you can't really, or, you know, they're not coming in enough. I don't know. Like, how does that work? And you're reserving office for them. Yeah. So when they come on, we ask them like, what kind of, what kind of hours are you looking for? Uh, what's your ideal client? Um, and they give us like their hours and what they want to do. And we say like, you know, we're going to help you get those clients, but we suggest you try to get those clients too. Um, we'll help market it, but it always is great if you're out there marketing. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, we do have a bunch of offices and we try to schedule them. And that's when it does get tricky because they do change their hours and then we're like trying to put them all in different spots and we want them mm-hmm. to have the same office so that, you know, cl- clients aren't like freaked out because it's a different office each time. Yeah, so, I agree. People like yeah. routines. Yes, yes. So um, it does feel like the price is right sometimes when, you know, you take those prices and you put them on each one of the items and then you pull the lever and see if it's mm-hmm. like matched up. That's what it feels like sometimes. So um, balancing that out um, is something that you have to think about. And then, um, you know, if they're like, well, I want to take this day off or that day, we just put in the contract, like, let us know two weeks ahead of time so we can provide coverage on the phone. Um, yeah. So when I did my independent contractor, I did have it reviewed by a lawyer that specializes in social work and oh, good. Uh, law. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's hard to find the correct lawyer for the correct job and people that are trustworthy. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's a lot of people out there and they're not all trustworthy. So it's really good. You're able to do that. I mean, I would want to do the same thing. I actually thought about, <laughs> I thought about going to law school, like down the road, they have part-time programs down. I thought about, I don't want to be a lawyer, but I thought about doing it just because there are so many everyday situations where the law intersects with our life, whether it be professionally or personally. And it would just be helpful to know these things. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I walk around the office talking to myself out loud, you know, just to kind of like work things out in my head because there's like different facets. You get the law, you got the ethics, you got, you know, all this other stuff. And then you're a business owner in the mm-hmm. end of it all too. And like working all that out is really definitely trying to spin a bunch of plates at one time. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. So where did, where do you see yourself in like five to 10 years? What's your big goal? Oh gosh. Well, I'm still finishing up credentialing. So I'm, I'm have a voluntary license, which I don't have to have. It's an addiction license on top of my other one. And so I'm thinking I'll basically have it worked out whether or not I want to finish up that process or not. I have quite a few hours done, but you know, it goes back to regulations and law. And so in the state that I'm in, you know, I'm not from this state. And so like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of paths to get to where we're at mm-hmm. in different states. And so I wish I would have known a, a number of years ago what I know now. And what I know now is that there's programs out there in my state that will fast track you to get through all these regulatory requirements that I did not know about. And then, of course, the programs of that program that I went to, they don't tell you. They don't tell you anything. You know, it's just butts in the seat money, right? And so, um, unfortunately, I didn't go to one of those programs. So I've taken, like, the world's longest routes <laughs> to oh. get in my state to where I need to be. And so because of that, like, for example, it requires, like, 4,000 hours as one addiction license. I have about a thousand and then there's other requirements. So I don't really, we'll see kind of how that works out. So basically kind of figuring through that, I'll figure that'll be done, sorted out many years from now. Um, as far as the future holds, I mean, I think I would continue to have a good work-life balance because that's something that I've been really valuing since I've had my own company and something I can't, I don't take for granted at all because it's such a new novel concept for me. So I'm just like, oh, this is really great. Like, I'm just so excited. Like, I'm like not exhausted when I'm working with people. This is great, you know? <laughs> it's just, I get to like actually have a say in my working conditions. Wow, like this is amazing. So, so yeah. I want to continue on with that. Um, my husband will likely be probably finishing up with the military at that point point. So that'll be kind of a reevaluation of where we're going to be at um, as well. And probably uh, moving closer to a larger city because right now I'm in a more, North Carolina is mostly rural. Mm-hmm. And so that's been an experience in and of itself. And so probably getting more away from the rural areas, even though my company is in Raleigh, so it's a mm-hmm. bigger city. It's like big city, big city out here. Um, <laughs> so getting away from the rural area more so most likely at some points. Don't know exactly when, but that's a thought I have in my mind for sure. Are you thinking anything about like speaking opportunities? Um, I haven't given it a lot of thought. No, no, hasn't, no? Really, <laughs> no hasn't really like come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking you have a lot that you've created that you could talk about. And maybe that would something that's in your, your future. Maybe. I think I'm at this point in my life too, I'm much more kind of go with the flow. I used to be really hard hitting with my goals. I still have goals. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like do or die. Like it used to be like, I used to be a lot more like amped up, super hyper-focused about my goals. And now I'm just kind of like more go with the flow. You know, if things didn't go, you know, kind of the way I'd planned with my professional goals, I would get really upset about it. Now I'm not so much that way at all because I've accomplished really more than what I had set out to do. And so, um, you have one goal in mind that I'd like to get accomplished as an MT. And then after that, I'm just kind of like putting positive vibes out there and seeing what comes back. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> great. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for meeting with me today and chatting and telling us all the great things that you've been doing. Um, you know, uh, we're going to put links to your products um, uh, to our show notes, if that's okay. Um, that's fine. And then we'll put them on the Facebook as well, the Facebook group. Um, and then, you know, people will get to be able to buy those. Now, can we buy them on Amazon too? No, I don't have a setup on Amazon. Even though I buy stuff on Amazon, I don't even know how to even do that for myself. That really confuses me. <laughs> so, Not even your no. book? Oh, yes. Sorry. The books. Yes. Oh, okay. My, my, my book is published everywhere on all platforms possible. Good. I meant the game. I meant the therapy game. The oh, therapy okay. game, that's a physical product. And that is, um, that's, I only have so many copies of those. So Amazon might blow me out of the water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, we'll put it on my website of resources that I love, too, so people can have access to it. All right. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Okay. Sounds good. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Vanessa. And if you're interested in getting to know more about her and some of her work, make sure you go to our show notes page on chitchatwithatherapist.com and look for the links to all the things that she's doing. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube, our Spotify, our Stitcher, anywhere where you listen to this podcast, because the more people we have subscribed, the more we can get the word out about all the great things that therapists and other individuals who are helping therapists are doing. And if you're not already, make sure you join my private Facebook group, A Private Practice Made Easy. So until next time, keep being amazing and keep inspiring others. Bye-bye for now.